Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. All right, everybody, welcome to the Philacrosophy Podcast, and today's guest is Jake Elliott, the voice of the junior and senior A Thunder, pretty much the voice of the WLA, and has been the voice of the uh, Vancouver Stealth for the last number of years, and hopefully get an opportunity moving forward as the Vancouver Stealth are becoming the Vancouver Lacrosse Club with a name yet to be decided, but Jake, welcome aboard, really great to have you on here. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. I appreciate you having me on. It's it's funny, you know, you're trying to kind of find the right words to describe my career. And Teddy Jenner and I were talking, who I'm sure you know, at off the crossbar, we're talking uh, the other night, and, and he was talking about how he thinks he had worn number 19 longer than any other Victoria Shamrock. And I said, well, I don't need maybes. I need you to, like, prove that if I'm going to put that out on the air. And I said, you know what? I said, I think I've probably called more lacrosse games than anybody else on the planet. And then I kind of, you know, I kind of threw that out there. And then I thought to myself, you know what? That's probably true. Like, I, I started calling lacrosse games when there was no video. There was no webcasting. I was doing it audio through a phone line over the Internet. And this is my 18th year of doing Junior lacrosse, senior lacrosse, national lacrosse league. I've done Minto Cups, Man Cups, Presidents Cups, World Championships. Uh, So I don't think there's another guy like you look at maybe a guy that's been in college for 40 years. He's gone through his seasons of 10, 12 games a year or whatever it is. Maybe some guys in the the MLL like Quinn Kedzik who's been around for a long time, but only in one league. So if you combined all the games that I've done over the course of my 18 years, I don't think there's another guy on the planet wow. that's called more games than I have. Well, and there's also there's so many more games played in boxing well, yeah. than in field across. I mean, you got like Absolutely. seven games to, to decide a championship instead of a one-game playoff. You know. Yeah, and in in the summertime, I'm literally in a different rink five nights out of the week calling the calling the game. So add that up over 18 years, it's. It's probably close to like 3,000 games, something like that. That's amazing. Well, I got to tell you, I love listening yeah. to you. Um, I always bum out when I, when I watch an Adonex game and it's somebody else and not you. <laughs> I like listening to you because you know the game. And even though I consider myself a lacrosse expert, I haven't watched even close to as much box lacrosse as you and a lot of people. And I just like listening to people that know what they're talking about. That can Well, you know, listen, man. I, you know, I, I did a little – a little research on you before uh, coming on your podcast here because I knew we were going to chat. And just, like, I, I know you as Colin's dad is essentially how we got to know each other. But then I, you know, kind of started to look into it. And I look at your Twitter bio, and it's founder of this, president of this, CEO of this, Hall of Famer of this. I, like, I cannot believe what you have accomplished in, in the sport of lacrosse over your career. So it's uh, a pretty impressive byline that you have uh on your twitter account there jamie yeah well thanks man and um you know i am glad to be uh colin's dad and uh to be able (laughs) to have him now amazingly you know not his ninth summer of playing box across in canada is the summer 
The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 video assessment tool. Yeah, so tell me, I'll, I'll switch it back on here and I'll interview you for a sec. Tell me how uh, a guy from Denver, but I think that's not where you're originally from, that's where you reside now, but tell me how Colin finds yeah. his way way to Coquitlam to play uh, box lacrosse and intermediate. Yeah, well, so my, my quick box lacrosse history that turns into his is that um, I played for the, for the Boston Blazers when I was coaching lacrosse at, the, at Yale University. And I fell in love with the game, but I, I, I just couldn't be a head assistant lacrosse coach and a player living two and a half hours away from practices and games. So I did it for the year, and I, couldn't, I just couldn't make it work. I just couldn't show up to practice after once February 1st hit. And, and, just yeah. and I needed practice, by the way, because I couldn't score. Marty O'Neill was our goalie. Scored my very first senior A goal against Marty O'Neill Did you? way back when. Yeah, Love that guy. He's an awesome guy, but it was like a total like punch in the gut when he was like, so uh, did you play offense in college? I was like, yeah, I was an All-American. <laughs> you know, like, but I could not score because, I, because you yeah. don't know how to shoot if, if you haven't played on these little goalies. And it's little goals and big goalies. But you will learn. The problem was, though, we would – we would have like four corners shooting with like 25 guys and one ball and one goalie. And it's like, all right, you know, I got six shots yeah. in practice. I wasn't really going to improve that quickly, but I fell in love with the game. And then when I, when I took the job at the university of Denver in 1998, I, I just couldn't recruit the top level American players to a brand new program. So I decided to start to recruit Canadians. The first guys I went up and, and by the way, my, my in-laws, my wife's from Buffalo. So I was up there in the summer. They used, they used to go over to Niagara-on-the-Lake in the summer. And so I went to some St. Catharines camps. I was like, oh, my mm. God, Craig Kahn is unbelievable. And Sean yeah. Schoenhall. And I end up, like, recruiting those two guys. They did home visits to their house back in the summer of, like, 2000 or 99. And I didn't get them. And I ended up getting an email from this kid named Matt Brown, a 17-year-old, mm. who <laughs> had led, led the league in hat tricks for the Burnaby yeah. Lakers. And I yeah. was like, Wow, this and then by the way, this is like the beginning of email. This is like the, one of the first email emails I was going to say. This was like, yeah. So I take a trip up to BC. I recruit Matt Brown, and I started recruiting Canadians and studying the game. I realized the one year that I did play, how much better I got, and it was just it kind of blew my mind. And I took, I'm just sort of a lacrosse nerd from a coaching and development perspective. So I just based a lot of my development theories of, of individuals and team stuff on, on how to, how to, how to do two man games and how to teach everything and started recruiting more Canadians, try to develop my players that way. And, um, and then worked out, worked out all right. Yeah. It worked out pretty well. So then fast forward this to maybe 2010 and my son was probably about 12 years old. And I was like, Hey, grandma and grandpa, how would you like to, you know, take, take your grandson for the, for the summer. Uh, up in up in Niagara on the lake, and maybe we could find him a place to play, like in St. Catharines. So sure enough, he played Pee Wee lacrosse for a good friend of mine, Sean Allen. You know, and um, he was like, so uh, you know, Darius Kilworth's son Kyler was on the team, and guys like okay. Harris was on that team, and uh, you know, the, actually St. Catharines has a great group of '98s and '99s, and he was among those kids. He played sure. for five years there, and honestly, the reason why he ended up coming out west was because he was. You know, the, the transition to junior A when you're 17, 
I just personally felt like intermediate was going to be a better fit for a 17 year old because I wanted him hanging out with 17 and 18 year olds. Yeah, especially for an Amer- especially for an American kid coming up that doesn't have a full history of of you know, he would probably have a tough time as a 17 year old making a junior A team in Ontario anyway. rather than going oh, yeah. going through an intermediate in BC. So that, I think that was a smart play for you. Yeah, and, so, and socially, you know, when you're 17, you don't need to be hanging out with 21 year olds either. You know, <laughs> you know, like that was part of it also. Yes. So he had a great group. He rolls in. Pete Tellis was his coach. Very good friend of mine. You know, Bowering and Armstrong and um, and uh, what's his name, Matt. Um, the boy who goes to the University of Pennsylvania, he played last year on, on the, on the Max Oh, McKilrick. Matt McKilrick. You know, great group of lefties, and it was just an amazing experience, and, you know, the rest is history. But, but the reason why we're talking about this is, is – and the reason why I want to talk to you is I want to educate as many people that, you know, from, from the U.S. side of things of the, the value of box across. But also, it's more than just that. We know that it makes you better, but – there's something about the culture and the passion and the love of the game. Um, you know, it's like you and I don't know each other that well, but we've definitely enjoyed our time just talking lacrosse. And I really believe that anybody that gets a chance to go up to Canada um, and watch it, uh, get into the, you know, not, you know, going up and watching is one thing, but actually getting, getting to know the people and sort of watch mm. the passion. It's awesome. It's really cool. Yeah, and, I, and honestly, I don't know if you could have found a better organization than the Coquitlam Madnax to, to do that. The people that are involved, you know, from, from James, James Abbott and Lance Offseth and Scott Wortley and, and down the list, uh, those those group of guys are pretty special people. And, and you know, not I wouldn't say every organization is like Coquitlam, and there's a reason that those guys have gone to 10 straight Minto Cups. It's It's – it starts at the top with that, and, and yeah, you got to have good players and good coaches and all the rest of it. But uh, if you don't have that upper echelon of good management, you're not gonna you're not gonna find your way there. And and you know, just to get back to your point of box across and field across, like I I don't think people really understand completely how different the two games really are. And 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 at some point, like I think. It's almost yeah, they're both lacrosse, but they're they're almost completely different sports. You know what I'm saying with that? Yeah, like I, it's I, I see I see it kind of both ways, you know. But keep going. I want to hear what you say. Well, I just you know with with like I obviously I grew up playing box lacrosse and didn't find field lacrosse until I was about 16, 17 years old, and I turned out to actually be a much better field lacrosse player than I was a box lacrosse player. And I really wish it was the other way around for me, but it, it just wasn't. But I don't know what – I don't know quite how to describe it, but, like, I mean, to be within confined spaces with boards and to have a shot clock and the different nets and the, the goalies and no long sticks and the big open field and the, it's just – it's you it's two completely different games. And, you know, the real similarity is – having a stick and a ball in your hand and yes. everything else, you know, like you have bigger net and, but it's, it's like, you cannot, I th- I'll put it this way. Going from box across to field across is so much easier than going from field across to box across. And that's why you see so many Canadians have much more success going down south to play div one. Yeah. than you see superstar American 
born field lacrosse players that are the best at what they do, and they try, come and try and play box lacrosse, and it just doesn't translate for everyone. Some guys get it. Some guys get it right away. Some guys it takes two, three years to get it, and then they start to – and some guys just don't get it and never will get it, and that's the way it is. But yeah. when you see a box player go into field lacrosse, they usually pick that up much quicker and much easier than going the other way. Yeah, I think so in a lot of ways, just because it's so much harder to score and the shots that you can score in field, you're just not going to score in box. Um, I think that, you know, field lacrosse is such a one-on-one game and box lacrosse is just much, I mean, there's there's a lot of dodging in box lacrosse, but it's always involved with two-man situations. It's much more of a cutting and feeding and passing game Mm. than an isolation game. Um, and I think those habits and the IQ and learning how to get the ball in and out of your stick and the need to be just hyper accurate, um, is just, you know, is, is so, uh, it it is different. I, I think that it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the best American players. Cause I frankly think that if given a chance and enough reps, I think that the best U S offensive would have no problem figuring out how to play. The biggest problem is the mentality of it's not just a one-on-one game and you're going to have yeah. to move without the ball. That, and that's not something they can't learn. It's just something they're not used to. And, yeah. And the, I mean, like it, it's, it's, it's an issue because at the pro level, you can't afford to have some projects on your exactly. roster. You know? That's the problem. So, and, and getting these guys the proper amount of reps and, putting them in situations where they're going to learn. You just, you can't bring them into an NLL team and say, okay, you know, we're going to work with you. We're going to develop you. So in a couple of years from now, you're going to be this guy. And, you know, like when I went down to school, I went to, to Sonoma state down in California with a guy named Derek Malowski, who was a, a very a former junior adnack himself and, and a very prominent NLL player, one of the best players I ever played with. And when we got down there, our coach, his name was John Hughes. And, and, you know, we were passing the ball around. We started, you know, into our, our fall ball and, and working through our sets and stuff. And he kept hammering. Like, we were doing line drills, and he'd say, you know, switch your hand, switch your hand. And we are like, Coach, like, we don't need to do that. We're good. <laughs> you know, we, we, we were like, he's like, no, I want you to develop your, your – like, I'm a lefty. He says, develop your right hand. I said, Coach, like, I'm never going to use my right hand and feel across. He's like, and he couldn't, he couldn't wrap his head around that. Not only because I can go over the shoulder pretty accurately and, and, but you just, in box across, you learn how to play with one dominant hand and you don't ever switch hands in box across. Like very, very rarely do you ever switch hands in box across. I just said like, I got this man. Like you do not need to, I don't need to roll to the outside so I can pass to, I just, you know, go over the shoulder. I'll, Z cut and I'll make a little separation. Then I'll make the pass. Like I, yep. so it took him a long time to wrap his head around that we were never going to play with our right hand. So yep. it's a it's an interesting dynamic that way. That you know he was trying to drill home. You need two hands. You need two hands. And we were like, no, no. A lot of people we, are drilling that home in a way. I mean, listen. Let's be honest. It's it's ideal if you could. But the truth is, you can only play on one side at the time, anyway. So, like, yeah. uh, well, I mean, the, the one American guy that I've been ultra impressed with watching is Brown on, on Team USA. The way that he oh my gosh. can shoot with shoot with both hands from all angles, I haven't seen a player be able to do that before. Like, usually when you watch a guy shoot, you can say, "Okay, yeah. that guy's 
he's a dominant lefty or he's a dominant righty with Brown, you don't know. Like, you don't, you don't know what, whether he's a lefty or a righty, and that's really impressive. It is. Really impressive. The last thing before we move on to some other topics as it relates to Americans coming into the, the NLL in particular is I think as there are more teams, they're going to have to, you know, the, the they're going to have to, they're going to have to. And, and what I've noticed over the years is that if an American, we'll say attackman has the sort of credentials and the desire to play, they're usually given a chance and they can do it and they do it well. And the guys that don't have the credentials or if they're not given a chance, then they don't. And so, you know, Toronto gave a couple of Americans a chance and, and they're playing pretty well, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Schreiber and McCardle, yeah. Those guys are, 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 you know, absolutely, you know, Schreiber was rookie of the year, right? And, and McCardle yep. is like proved to be a good lefty. And you look at, um, you know, Ryan Boyle, for example. I mean, he had a good career. Casey Powell. Oh. Oh, there's a long list, Jamie. There's a long list. And, you know, the defenders like Chris O'Doherty and Kyle Hartzell and, and even Paul Rabel and his time in the NLL, there's, there's a long, long list of, of good Americans. But, you know, that's one, that's one, maybe two per team. And that's not going to be the new NLL, especially with the way that uh, Commissioner Sakevich wants to expand this league. You're going to need – five, six American-born players on your yeah. roster. And and I think, like, you hit it on the head right off the bat. They have to want to do it. If they yeah. want to do it, these guys are good enough where they're going to put in the work and really try and succeed at the indoor game. And and I really feel like that's that's the way this is going to go. Like, I, I hate the fact that the NLL and the MLL – overlap in their schedules and you know there's this constant conflict like hey why don't we go to work we got to work together so these guys can play in both we it's not going to go like that like the nll i think is going to stomp on the mll and say we are the best league in the, in the world and if you want to play lacrosse in front of fifteen thousand fans and get paid accordingly this is the league you want to play in and i think more and more american-born players are going to start to realize that and they're going to start to choose the national lacrosse league over is that the what your prediction is I absolutely. And there's no no disrespect to the MLL or field lacrosse or anything like that. Like, I, I think, you know, they, they've, they've been a good league, but it's not the National Lacrosse League. The National Lacrosse League is the best league on the planet, and they want the best players on the planet, and that's why they're expanding, and they're going to get these guys sooner or later. They're going to realize what, what's happening here. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, well, I – I love both games, um, and uh, I, I came – I don't know if you knew this, actually. It's pretty funny, but when, when the Mammoth moved out here, I was 35 years old, and I tried out for the Mammoth. No, I did not know that. I did not know that. Gary Gate was there, and, you know, what he did – I was, I was, like, blown away. And, by the way, I was a Division One head coach. I was 35. There was no way I was going to be able to play, even if I made the team, which I didn't. <laughs> but I was, I was just absolutely, like – wanted to see where I stood and I'd been yeah. 10 years yeah. since I played. I loved the game so much and I quitted myself pretty well out there, but uh, pulled a hammy and that was pretty much it. <laughs> but, but, um, but Gary Gate, the thing that blew me away, cause I'm just like a student of the game and I, yeah. I been a, he's been a hero of mine ever since I played against him. I mean, I was only a year older, but he would, every time he would finish Jake, he would cat and, and I don't care what drill it was, catch the ball. And he'd like look at his stick, yeah. And then he'd come out. He'd come out of his look, and and then Steve Gubb was like, "Oh yeah, it's the Victoria look back." He calls it. And and so yeah. now, by the way, that is actually an 
I mean, I was like, what is he doing? He did it every single time. And it was like yeah. the ultimate hesitation in yeah. like all of a sudden looking at his stick and then coming out of it faking. And, and it right. Crazy. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I had, I used to have a poster up in my room when I was a kid of, of Paul and Gary when they were at Syracuse and it was Gary doing the, the air gate wraparound and Paul was kind of sitting down in the corner of the net with his, with his arms crossed. And, yeah, I, and, I saw that poster. And uh, I thought, you know, this, this is the coolest thing. And th until I actually had, I played a game against them in box across, they were playing for the Shamrocks and I was playing for the Sandbillies at the time. And that night I went, went home and I, and I ripped down that poster because I was like, you know what? Like, I can't have yeah. Paul and Gary Gate up on my wall and I'm playing against him. So, but it's interesting. You mentioned Gary Stick and, and they were always innovators of the game. Like they were one of the first guys, you know, to start to kind of mess around with their sticks and the mesh and the traditional stringing. And one of the other things that they did, and, and I want to accredit them to the first guys that used an offset stick, but they didn't do it with their head. They would use the, bend their shaft they put right. a little bow in their shaft to get extra whip on their shot or whatever it was but they would purposely bend their shaft in a slight little arc on it and they were the first guys to ever start yeah. using offset sticks like that and it was like i never understood why until i started to see offset heads come out and i thought man like how smart is that to be able to think to do something like that but that was that was just Paul and Gary. Like they were, they were they're, on they're, they're thinkers. Yeah, like Gary. Gary last when, year, Gary came sorry, to this little uh, pickup game. Uh, you know, we had this little group of people down in Florida, and he was like, "I, by the time I was thirteen years old, I knew how to do everything that I know how to do that I that, that I ever knew." Yeah, you probably so think Kevin, I was thirteen. Kevin, I knew how to do everything. I didn't learn anything new. I was like, Kevin you Alexander, you could thank for that, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Kevin Alexander was probably the guy that, that you know, and, and like I said, I had, a, I had a chance to play against both Paul and Gary. And, and I remember one night I was, we were in Queens Park and I was back on defense and Gary was coming down on me full steam one on one. And I thought to myself, okay, so here comes Gary Gate and, and I'm, you know, about as slow footed as a defender as you're going to find. I'm like, Gary's going to think that he's going to go to the inside. So I'm going to take away underneath because I know he's thinking that I'm thinking. And he just, like, I literally just stood there. Like, and he, <laughs> as as I just looked to the heavens and thought to myself, like, okay, like, I just got stuck by Gary Gate, but I can live with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah. But he, you're, he was you're so. On the list. There's a long yeah, list he, of guys that that happened to. Yeah, and special, you know, special player. Like dunked on by MJ. You know what? It's like, you know, that you should put that poster back up. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> one so, day. Summer lacrosse in Canada in August is the best. And um, we have, you know, Minto Cup going on. We got, you know, the, the WLA playoffs, the uh, major series lacrosse playoffs going on. I just finished a trip. Actually, my daughters played um, in the provincials for St. Catharines. So that's why oh, nice. they were playing intermediate and midget lacrosse up there. So our summer is awesome. actually officially over from the girls' perspective. But let's talk a little bit about the Minto Cup coming mm -hmm. up. You call a ton of those games, obviously. Uh, I'm know, liking that picture you got in behind you right there. It, I know. Uh, brings, how, how great is that? Brings back some pretty good memories. Uh, how great was that 
I mean, that was the greatest 10 days maybe ever. I mean, it was like 22 hours of downtime in between lacrosse games, but that yeah. – and you're right. I, if Delves had hit that shot at the end, it would have been the greatest <laughs> play in the history of sports. Yeah, I honestly – like, I, I mean, the, the listeners an idea of what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I – so, yeah, it's a, it's a five-game series, right? Once you get to the finals of the down to the two teams, it comes down to best of five. And we are in game five. It was a tie game. Orangeville pulls their goaltender with about 20 seconds to go. So their net is empty. And this is – so the Minto Cup is essentially on the line here. Orangeville's trying to win the Minto with an extra attack around in the, in the final dying seconds of the third period. They take a shot with about – what was it? Eight seconds to go. They, yeah, they took it. They took it too early, is what they did. And Del Bianco, who you know is now a pro goaltender and is still in junior lacrosse, made the stop, and then came up with the ball, threw it down the floor with about two seconds to go. So if the goal would have went in, it would have counted. But he literally bounced. It was on line, and he bounced it over the crossbar by what, like six inches or something like that. He had a chance to win the Mental Cup scoring as a goaltender in the final deciding game at the end of regulation. It just blows me. Like, I still go back and watch that and just think, oh, like, what, what would I would have said had that goal gone in? Like, what would have been my call? Yeah. You could have and had, like, still, Michaels, you know? Do you believe in yeah. You know, I, like I still don't, I still really don't know what, I, and it, you know, it turned out, it turned out okay. They they won in overtime anyway. But to give you an idea on Del Bianco, like after missing that shot, and now they're off to overtime, he walks back to his bench, and he had the biggest smile on his face I'd ever seen. Like, man, that would have been pretty cool if I would have <laughs> scored that, you know. And he's talking to the other goalie, and they're like, yeah, that was. A, but he could have cared less. Like, okay, now we get to play some extra extra yeah, lacrosse yeah. and overtime here, and goes on to to win. Yeah, like Joe Montana in the Super Bowl when he's like, "Hey, look, John Candy's yeah. up in the stands." <laughs> you know yeah, that story. Just ice water in his veins, incredible. No doubt. Incredible. Well, um, yeah. so so the listeners know, um, the Minto Cup starts next Thursday. The way it works is the winner of the West sends a team, the winner of the East sends a team, the winner of Alberta sends a team, and the host province which is alberta this year sends two teams so to make it a, a four-team tournament um there's a round robin and if so everybody plays three games that determines a first place uh, with a bye a fourth place that's out two plays three to get into that five game series that jake's talking about and it ends up being eight games in 10 days for uh the first seed and uh not uh, nine games in 10 days I believe for the uh, yeah. Second season. I think there might be one extra day off. In there. So, yeah, you're yeah. Right. They might have added a day last year. Two years ago, though, they didn't have the extra day. They went five. Yeah, straight. yeah the yeah. finals goes five straight. But I think every I want to say no, there's, maybe there's Thursday off in the finals this year. No, it goes okay. Off. Monday off, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off, Saturday, Sunday is the way it is now. Okay. The point is, it's grueling. It is. It's really, um, it's really an amazing event. Um, I, I, I've been lucky enough to go the last two years. Coquitlam won it two years ago against Orangeville. Orangeville had Joel Tinney, uh, Charlotte Beatties, the lefty, who's just oh, man. an incredible player. And I feel so – he goes to run, tore his ACL. It's sick. It, it is twice. Sick. Twice. And, you know, he, he was a, literally going to be a first-team All-American caliber player in Division One lacrosse. Absolutely. 
You, yeah. Next to Delves, he was the best player on the floor. Supposed to, actually supposed to play in Langley last summer, unfortunately, before he blew his knee out. So I was really stoked uh, to have him come and play summer ball up here for the year. But uh, unfortunately, it didn't work. I, I hope that kid makes a full recovery because he is a special do. talent. He special seems like talent. a nice kid, too. I, I, one, yeah. of my, uh, one of Colin's high school teammates goes to Rutgers and um, is, you know, says he's a great kid. And then last year – Six Nations was just too good, and um, mm-hmm. everybody – it's funny because everybody in Division One lacrosse knows how great Tohoka is. What they didn't realize is that Stats was the MVP of the tournament, but really it was their defense that yeah. was the MVP of that tournament. Um, Dougie Jameson didn't help uh, hurt matters either. And, no. and I think, you know, just to give you an idea, as you mentioned, Coquitlam has gone to 10 straight mental caps, and people probably think, like, that – that's that's something special. That's not normal. That's not something that happens a lot. And Six Nations, a, a super powerhouse in the East, and they've they've been you know right near the top over the last five years or so. But they didn't. Uh, they got swept throughout the in the first round of the playoffs this year. Doug, Doug Jameson graduated out of junior lacrosse, and they didn't have a goaltender. They still had you know good chunk of their returning roster, but they didn't have the goaltender this year, and that uh, yeah. they bowed out early out of the playoffs. So. I watched Cup little, champion. I did. I saw a fair amount of junior Eastern lacrosse because I was in St. Catharines for the summer with my daughter. So I mm. did get a chance to see them play. They were pretty different. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. yeah. Hoka didn't play most of the summer anyways. He no. Was other stuff and, I hear, uh, I hear your boy Kirk is going with Dehoga now, not Tahoka. Yeah. Dehoga. You know what? Tahoga, I think might be the uh, pronunciation. So I got to, I'm going to yeah. step on that. Bandwagon. He's going to be a player of that kid. So we should probably wrap our head around that. Uh, sooner than later, I like to call him the chosen one, Dehoga. Dehoga. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you on that. So I, I think that would be uh, the right thing to do is pronounce his name the right way. But I tell you, like Austin Stats was, you know, just off the charts in that tournament. Um, mm-hmm. Gosh, I mean, I, I, he, I, he was my favorite player that I'd seen. You know. At that to that point in time, I was just I was pretty blown away by by Austin stats. But the Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. So let's talk a little bit about the teams that are in the Minto Cup and give it give yeah. us a rundown on the teams if you don't mind. Yeah, so Calgary Mountaineers and the Okotoks Raiders are the two Alberta teams, and those two teams have really alternated kind of Minto Cup appearances over the last six to eight years. They've kind of swapped back and forth. They've they've each appeared in the Minto Cup uh, four times each, I think. So they always seem to kind of come down to the finals and, and battle each other in the Alberta final to, to who gets in, but they get both get in because they're both made the Alberta final again. But um, almost some, some Minto cup history is the Saskatchewan SWAT, the junior A franchise, and they play in the Rocky mountain lacrosse league. It's kind of a combination of, of two provinces, but um, they came very close to, to knocking off the Mounties, which would have been Minto cup history and a huge upset there. It didn't happen. So now, Okotoks and Calgary are playing the best of seven, which is rather academic. I don't know why they're playing the best of seven. If it was me, I'd be down to best of five or three and save yourself a little bit for, for the big dance. But um, they're locked up at two. So one will be the host team. One will be the, the Alberta champs, and that will determine who plays who with the schedule and that sort of thing. So those two teams um, 
you know, from what I've heard is Alberta's had a bit of a down year and usually they load up one team in Alberta to, to come and compete in the Mento Cup where now it's the talent to spread out over two teams. But they, they did. Both teams went out and, and picked up a couple of players from the BC Junior League and and uh, um, they picked up a couple of players each from Delta and Burnaby and um, Calgary picked up the Saskatchewan goaltender who's a real rising star. So. Hopefully they're competitive. I don't know. I don't give them much of a shot to, to win it, but uh, hopefully they're competitive and, and make for some good games. And Brampton really are, quite frankly, they're lucky to be here. With Jeff T gone at the Worlds in, in Israel, got pushed to the limit by Mimico, who was in the Minto Cup last year. Um, they went to the full five games, and every one of those games was like a one-goal contest. They they managed to squeak by Mimico in, in five games and then kind of got on their way a little bit when T got back. So you can see the the kind of impact that he's had on, on his team. They got past Orangeville in five games after uh, – after beating Mimico and, and rather cruised into into the Mental Cup in the Ontario final, which doesn't happen very often. A lot of upsets in Ontario. Burlington finishing first in the regular season. They got knocked out early. Toronto Beaches came up with an upset in their opening round of the playoffs. So the path for Brampton kind of got laid out. It was a little bit easier than I think they first expected. And then Coquitlam... Um, you know, swept through Victoria in the opening round, three to nothing in the best of five, and wasn't really close in any of those games. They've just been stifling teams defensively. I, I think Victoria had like three, six, and four or something in their three games as far as goal scoring went. Um, and then the best of seven against New West, um, pretty convincing win in game one. They actually lost two straight on their home floor, which I don't, I can't even remember the last time they've done that. Lost two games on their home floor consecutively, never mind in the playoffs. Uh, but give New West some credit; they won a couple of low-scoring games. But then Coquitlam, I think, got a bit of a wake-up call losing those two games and really kind of turned their game up another level and, and uh, asserted their dominance, if you will, over New West in, in games. Uh, four, five, and six. So it took them six games. I don't know if they expected to take them six, but I, at the end of the day, I think that's probably a good thing for them to get tested a little bit and pushed a little bit before getting into the Mental Cup because I think Brampton is going to give them all they can handle. But for me, with all the third years on this team, the deals that they made, they got the best goaltender in junior lacrosse, maybe on the planet, Del Bianco, um, which is you know hard to believe, but a junior junior A goaltender might be the best goaltender in lacrosse and box lacrosse right now. So, with all that being said, and the experience that they've had being there, traveling to Minto Cups, playing in Minto Cups, I think is going to serve them well. And and I would say they're probably the favorites going in. I don't know. I haven't seen Brampton play a game yet, so it's hard for me to kind of handicap them, but. After watching Coquitlam play throughout the playoffs and regular season, I would say they're probably the team to beat. Yep. Interesting. Well, you know, a couple notes for everybody as it relates to the Alberta or the Rocky Mountain rules. They are allowed to – correct me if I'm wrong, but they're allowed to pick up players. Mm. Um, yeah. So – And any – any, you know, they can, they can go ahead and win a playoff series and then take all that, that team's best players and load them up yeah. to make themselves yeah. more competitive for the Mitchell Cup, whereas – you referred to a second ago to the trading deadline in Ontario and, and in BC. It's, you know, it's like the 30th of June and you got to like get your team set by that point in time. And so this year with the host province being Alberta, that means that 
they're they're going to be naturally a little bit watered down. They just can't bring all the best players onto one team. They're on two teams. Yeah, and and that's an agreement that both BC and Ontario have agreed to to allow Alberta to do that to be more competitive at the Minto Cup. And I think they're at the in the final year of that agreement, and that'll probably be readdressed now. But it was like a four year agreement for them to be able to do that. And with them being pushed in 2016 and then again in 2017, showing very well there, yeah. I think the, that probably agreement is probably going to come to an end. Yeah, but literally, so the Mountaineers defeated Saskatchewan in their semifinal to punch their ticket to the Minto Cup and then took their goaltender, who they just beat, who's probably the best goaltender in that league, and he's now on their team. So that gives you yeah. an idea on how it works. It's, it's pretty crazy. It is. It hasn't backfired on Ontario or BC yet. So, you know, I guess they're not too it depends concerned if you're about a it. But, or not, though. Yeah. So I was just saying um, it hasn't backfired except for um, the, the Mounties did knock off Delta, who were the BC champs. Right, right, yeah. That, that changed the complexion of that series big time because all of a sudden – uh, Delta was out, and um, and that you know they, they they were good enough to win the Mental Cup thing. Yeah, and they they beat Coquillum in the BC Finals that year. That's the one year. So Coquillum's been in ten straight Mental Cups, but they haven't won the BC title every one of those years. So you know, with it being a host year in BC, that's the reason they got in because they're part of the final two. But yeah, that was that just kind of goes to show you that sometimes teams that appear for their first time in a Mental Cup don't really know what to expect or how to prepare for that. And I think that was the case for Delta. Yeah, so they, were, they were on uncharted water and really didn't know how to deal with it. And, and it was a very disappointing year for, for the Islanders to kind of win the BC crown, take down the Adnax in the BC final and go into the Minto Cup on a super high and then uh, just bow out as the, the fourth place team like that. Yeah, no doubt. That was crazy. And then last year, uh, you know, they pushed Coquitlam to the brink in the, in the round robin. And Coquitlam, I think, uh, came, came back to win that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's great to see the game growing and to see, you know, it getting more competitive. And then, you know, to talk about you, – you mentioned Jeff T a little bit. But, you know, Jeff T, you know, is, is, is the Wayne Gretzky right now of uh, junior lacrosse. I mean, he's, he's similar stature and similar sort of IQ and brilliance and accuracy. And the people back there, it's funny, you know, they just talk about the kid as, as just, um, you know, a prodigy. And, um, and you can look at his stats, you know, they don't lie. And the fact that he was on the field and one of the most dangerous guys in the world championships as a, as a 21-year-old says a lot. There's a, there's a lot of good lefties in, in Canada. And right yeah, there. well, that's, you know, for me, what Canada's kind of been doing over the last couple of years in the world championships is taking young guys like a Westberg or a Jesse King or whoever it is and, you know, kind of grooming them for the next four-year cycle. And I thought, you know, with taking Trey LeClaire and Rylan Reese and, and Jeff Teat, Latrell Harris even, I thought maybe they were taking these guys on the team to kind of groom them for four years from now. But starting in game one, there was Jeff Teed on the, on the starting attack lineup and he never came off the field. And that just, you know, it's incredible to think that a 21 year old left-handed offensive player in Canada would be on the starting lineup for team Canada. Like that is, it's hard to fathom, but that's how good he is. Considering you're coming to your prime when you're 28 or 27. And yeah, like, I mean, and, and then you think about all the all the lefties that are available to choose from in this country, and they go with a 21-year-old. 
Yeah. No, he's just as smart as they come, as skilled as they come. And it's, you know, there, there's a lot of star power in this series also. I mean, you know, Chase Scanlon, the youngest player in the uh, World Championships playing for the Iroquois. Um, you know, he You're is, an Iroquois guy. How do you go with the Iroquois? Huh? I'm an East Coast guy. I mean, I'm yeah. an East Coast American. I go Iroquois. I know everyone says Iroquois. No, not everybody. It, it really depends on where you live and what part of the country or which country that you're in. But And, and I asked uh, the Nationals, so I'll say that, on okay. which was the proper pronunciation. And they said either is totally acceptable. But for me, like I've, I've, I say Iroquois, but I've kind of wanted to change because when I watch videos with Alvi Jacques, who's the, the old school wooden stick maker. He like, yeah. for me, he's as close to the creator as you can get, yeah. Alfie is. And he right. says Iroquois. So I kind of, like, I don't want to go against him. I kind of, that's, but I still say Iroquois for some reason. Iroquois, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, anyways, Chase Scanlon, um, unbelievable talent. Uh, NCAA lacrosse does not realize what's coming their way. I mean, I don't want to put <laughs> pressure on the kid, but I, I see him as a, a, a Wild Thompson type of a player, like that level of skill savvy at, you know, he's like Gumby. You just can't, you just somehow, he just buy you. He, you can blow him up and he bounces. I mean, he's yeah. got like strength. Yeah. You can't really see. He can, he, his, every shot has eyes to corners. I mean, it's, he, he feeds it. Uh, you know, he's a really, really special player. Yeah, he's a unique talent for sure. And and Brad and I, you know, calling that final series uh, last week, that's who we kind of kept referring to as when we watch him play, we see a lot of Lyle Thompson in him. And, you know, came out of the IMG Academy, which is obviously pretty synonymous with, with good players down in the States and uh, part of the UA top 100 high schoolers. And I think off to Loyola, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So uh, him and, Patty Spencer are going to be pretty, pretty formidable uh, oh, combination down there coming up next season. And yeah, like he's, he's, he's one of the youngest players still in junior lacrosse, but he's one of the best players in junior lacrosse. And to give you a, a kind of a comparison, like him and Trey LeClaire, both at the worlds, both offensive players, both came back to their teams at the same time. And Chase Scanlon put up like, I don't know, 25 points in 14 goals. Games. Yeah. Six, six points. It was like six points a game, something like that. And Trey LeClaire was like seventh on his team in scoring. And Trey LeClaire is like a blue chip, you know, Ohio state Buckeye, very prominent player in the States. And here's this kid straight out of high school, just dominating uh, this playoff series. So if he continues on the path that he's on, I think the sky's the limit for Chase Gowman. Yeah, no doubt. And then uh, Real Ryland Reese, another uh, Canadian all-world player. Mm. Yeah, uh, crazy, right? Like he goes straight from the U19, being a first-team all-star there as a long pole and and joins Team Canada as their men's team. And I thought, again, like, you know, here's the next generation of high-end talent for Canada. But there he is starting, playing a, a prominent role, taking on some of their best players and ends up on the first-team all-star as a, as a full player. Uh, full-time member of the men's team. So it's uh, it's pretty incredible. Like, Riley Reese may be a better stick handler with a long pole in his hand than he is with a short stick. And that's hard yeah, to do. He's phenomenal, and his athleticism and speed are great. You know, honestly, though, the Admax have pretty good speed. It seems like they're getting up the floor pretty mm -hmm. well. How about nice. – my guy. Giovanni. Yeah, yeah well, well done. <laughs> yes. I can't remember. I see – 
now is he going to Hopkins or is he going Carolina. to Carolina? And then Colin goes. Where's Colin going? Carolina. Okay, so they're gonna they're gonna end up together and yeah, yeah. And Giovanni is a 16 year old midget call up, and I'll tell you, he seemed to make the defense better. Well, you know what? He uh, he came straight off of winning a provincial title at the midget level. They don't have like a national. Well, they do have a national championship, but it but it works different. It works it works different. It comes down to provinces and not club teams, but. He uh he won a provincial title as the captain of his midget team a couple of nights ago, and then stepped right into the to the junior lineup. And you mentioned Reed Bowering earlier, who goes to Drexel and and is the captain of the junior Adnax, and he's still got another year to go. And and that's who Luca's going to be. He's he's the next Reed Bowering. He's like he's sixteen, doesn't shy away from contact. He's calm as can be out there. And I saw him knock a guy over like rather easily on defense and. Yeah. This is a 16-year-old kid playing with 18 to 21-year-olds, and uh, he's got he's got five years of junior ahead of him, and I can't imagine where he is going to be in his growth in five years from now. It's going to be sick to watch. Crazy. You know, yeah. it's funny you talk about Reed Bowering, and for the for the listeners out there, Reed's a starting attackman at Drexel, lefty. Uh, he was he was as an intermediate before he went up to junior, he was the MVP of the league as, as, as a forward, as a, as a goal scorer. And, and, mm-hmm. and then and now he's, now he's won two defender of the years in junior lacrosse. Right. And people say, <laughs> you know, one of the first picks in the NLL draft. And it's just yeah. He'd be my first pick. He'd be yeah. mine. Would he? Yeah. And it's yeah. amazing. Like people don't realize, you know, the skill that these defenders have. I mean, I was, you know, uh, I was at a senior game, actually. I went to the Brooklyn Redmen uh, home game versus the Peterborough Lakers two nights ago. Mm. And there's Chad Tutton, you know, playing out the back gate. He was a, you know, second-team All-American midi for North Carolina. Great right. know, scoring player. Yeah. And he's like a defender. And it's just, uh, it's just insane. But they take the athletes, the smartest guys, the toughest guys, the best athletes. And, you know, sometimes they can score, sometimes they can't. Well, that's what you guys – that's you and I refer to you as an American. That's what – like, Canadians will put their highest end talent on attack, where Americans, I find, put their best athletes on long pole. Yeah. Oh, no doubt, because you just want to have people – you know, you need someone to shut people down. You need those athletes to get it up and out and and all that. Just an interesting uh, contrast, right, between American and Canadian lacrosse. Yeah, no doubt. So give us a little uh, – that, that was a great rundown on the, on, the, on the Junior A stuff. So it starts next Thursday. And where can people watch it? Yeah. Um, it's going to be streamed live online at albertalacrosstv.com. Alberta is the province that we're going to be playing in. So albertalacrosstv.com. Sweet. And I'll be doing all those games. Well, I can't wait to listen, and uh, we'll get out there and hopefully uh, get a chance to see you. Yeah, um, absolutely, man. Make the trip up. Uh, it's, a, it's a short jaunt from Denver, right across the border. You're there. Yeah, it's not too far. It's not too far. I'm trying to decide whether to pull a real Canadian move and drive mm. or fly just based on the fact. How long, would, how long would the drive be if you did the drive? 16 hours. Bad. That's it's not bad. that bad, but the reason to drive would be obviously you just don't know. Like I don't don't know when anything's kind of ending. You know what I mean? And so yeah. Just like yeah. And they don't. You know what? If they flew southwest, I would definitely fly because I can change my flight on a dime, but without <laughs> without paying like massive change. Fees. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like getting yeah. up there and it's like if the thing ended on like a Friday and you have to leave on Monday, I, I might like lose my mind because I've I've traveled so much this summer. Yeah. 
absolutely. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't actually have a, a plane ticket home, right? They have, they have me flying in on Wednesday, and then I don't know when I'm going home. I guess I go the day after it ends. So I don't know how they're going to work that, but uh, they're going to have to. They're going to have to get me one. I'm not going to stay in Alberta, I can tell you that. That's for sure. Well, uh, I was going to put a little bit of WLA stuff on the docket here, but I think that uh, we've spent so much time, we should just come back and do it again sometime and catch up on some other series and stuff. But, Jake, it's been uh, awesome uh, chatting with you. Thanks for sharing all your insights and knowledge and passion for the sport. Anytime, man. I appreciate uh, you having me on. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. you got some really good things going on. As far as uh, your little coaching webinar clinics there, I've been really enjoying those. And uh, keep growing the game, man. I will do. All right, man. Have a great one. All right, buddy. All right. Thanks, See, see you. Yeah. yeah. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool.